0: Uh, Our sermon series, uh, we're entitling it Joy... uh, Well, no, uh, Unboxed. I'm sorry, Unboxed. Unboxing the Joy. Uh, The angel uh, said to the shepherds uh, who were awaiting... uh, They were out taking care of their flock by night, and the angel appeared to them and said, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which are for... Which these good tidings are for all people. And so as we are heading into this sermon series... We are going to be looking at joy and what does that look like? We're going to be unboxing different types of joy and kind of how do we live that out in our lives. And today we are specifically looking at an aspect of joy and this is really an aspect of who God is and that is we can have joy because we know that we know that we know that God keeps his promises. So we're going to kind of be digging in and unpacking that about how we can have joy because God keeps his promises. So to set it up, Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever, um, you've made a promise to someone, and maybe it was a promise that was hard to keep. Maybe it was something that was an inconvenience. Maybe it was something, maybe you promised to keep a secret. Somebody told you who they really, really liked in the sixth grade, and you were supposed to hold that secret. I mean, how many of you have ever kept a promise, but it was hard, it was hard, you know? So that's a part of being a good friend. It's a part of being a good spouse. It's a part of being a good neighbor. A good coworker is to keep promises and to be men and women of our word. But let me ask you this how many of you have ever had this experience when someone made a promise to you, but they broke that promise? They did not keep their word, they let you down, and it was it was disappointing. If y'all maybe some of you have had that experience. Well, today I've got a short video clip about someone who made a promise, but they did not keep their promise. Joseph, let's see if we can have our video here. The Michael Scott Foundation is still in existence. There you are. I don't think we have finished with my inbox. What Scott's taught? <laughs> <laughs> Has it really been 10 years? <laughs> Local businessman pledges college tuition to third graders. <laughs> To change lives? No. Michael, why would you promise that? You know... Okay. I Call the school. Cancel. I can't go through with this. We've already rescheduled seven times. Michael, this is a terrible, terrible thing you've done. Well... It... It's terrible. <laughs> just terrible. And the longer you put it off, the worse it's going to get. I just... I fell in love with these kids. And I didn't want to see them fall victim to the system. So I made them a promise. I told them that if they graduated from high school, I would pay for their college education. I've made some empty promises in my life, but hands down, that was the most generous. Just tell me it is going to be okay, all right? No. I'm not a bad news person. I bring good news. Like when I promised those kids I'd pay for college. I love that. I love that. He said. He said, "I've made some empty promises in my life, but but hands down, that one is the most generous." Uh, for those of you who have seen that episode, it is just, it's it's painful. It's painful. He has to go this this group of this group of uh, kids. Now they're seniors and they're getting ready to graduate from high school. They expect that he is going to pay their college tuition, but instead, who knows what he gives them. Y'all remember computer batteries, computer batteries. <laughs> so, but just for a moment, just imagine you were these kids, and since third grade, there had been this promise made to you that if you made good grades and you stayed in school, that someone was going to pay your college tuition. And then at that last moment, kind of the rug gets, uh, you know, snatched out from underneath your feet. Uh, what do you think they felt? They felt disillusionment. They felt disappointment. They felt anger. They felt hopeless. Do you think they felt joy in that moment when they found out that their college tuition wasn't going to be paid for? No, none of that. Now, this is just a you know a sitcom and it's a funny story. But but think about your own life. When when maybe it's not a person that you have had this experience with, but maybe there is a hope and a promise, something that you are hoping for, something you are expecting from the Lord, from God. And maybe it seems like God is slow in delivering his promise to you. Maybe it might seem like God's answer is no in what you hope hoped that he would promise to you. Maybe it is that God seems distant and and not not even near uh, in those moments when you are waiting on the promises of God. Our story today, we are going to be looking at people who waited a very, very, very long time for God's promise. And what I hope that you'll leave with today is this assurance in your heart that God is faithful faithful. If God has promised it, he will do it and you can trust in him. Because I think that idea of is God faithful? Is God going to show up? Is something that is important to every single one of us here in the room today. Our story begins in the book of Genesis with uh, a man named Abram and his wife Sarah, and they were just bedouin uh, shepherds. They were there's no reason to have identified why God would have chosen them. But God, for whatever reason, said, Abraham, I am going to choose you. I am going to, you and your wife are going to have a son. Some of you might remember this story from Sunday school or vacation Bible school, if you grew up in the church, that Abraham and Sarah were very old in age, and when they were 99 years old, that they have this child, this miracle child. And one of the things that God says about this child is that he says, Abram, he said, in you, one, one all the nations are gonna be blessed through this son, through the child of promise. Abraham and Sarah had to wait 25 something years from the time that God made the promise to them to the time that the promise was fulfilled. And so think about that long gap, that long wait, when you were questioning and wondering, is God someone that I can trust? Is God someone that will be faithful to do what he says he's going to do, who will be faithful to his word. Isaac grows up, we read the story in Genesis. He has children, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then the next time we pick up the story a little bit later on, one of the, the Israel, the his whole family, they become this nation, the nation of the Hebrew people. At this point in the story, they are enslaved in Egypt. And God is remembers his people. He remembers that he has made a promise to be their God, and he has promised to give them a special land to live in. But it looks hopeless. It looks like it's never going to happen. They're enslaved in Egypt, and then God is faithful to his promise, promise, and he sends a deliverer. He sends the prophet and the deliverer, Moses, to deliver the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And they begin to travel as a nation as they are moving and making their way towards the promised land. And yet they grumble, they complain, they're not thankful for what God has done for them. And because of that, that grumbling and that complaining attitude, uh, they are allowed to uh, and directed to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. And then eventually, though, God remembers his promise. God is faithful to his promise. And he brings them into the promised land. Now, for many, many years, God uh, rules them through through, through judges, he rules them through priests. But the people wanted a savior. They wanted a king. They wanted someone so they could be like the other nations. They didn't really want to depend on God. They wanted to depend on a human being to uh, to be their leader, to be their protector, to be their sovereign. And so, God, in His His generosity, He allowed that. Uh, first, there was Saul, and then there was King David. Uh, king was uh, King David. It was uh, a man after God's own heart is what uh, we're told in the scriptures. And so, at this point in the history of Israel, God makes another promise. Now, the first promise that God had made back to Abraham, from that time period to today, uh, scholars tell us that was approximately 4,000 years, okay? We're talking about a very long, long time. So now, God makes a second promise, and this promise is to King David. And what God promises King David, he picks up on that promise that he made to Abraham, but he basically, he says, David, he said, through you is going to come the Messiah. Through you is going to come a king who will rule over all, a king who will never die. So David holds this in his heart. He doesn't see it realized in his lifetime. And then the nation progresses. We know that David had his son with Solomon. And then after Solomon, his son under that, whoops, after, sorry, my timer went off. <laughs> time is it? I still got time. (laughs) But anyway, so the nation splits into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. But during this season in Israel's history, it was a long season that was predominantly uh, characterized by unfaithfulness, by unfaithfulness. There were times when, when Israel was faithful. There were times when they were not. But the overarching message during this whole season is that they kept Complaining, they kept grumbling, and they kept turning away from God. But here's the question during the long wait. Did God forget his promise? Because they were unfaithful, did that mean that God was going to be unfaithful to what he had promised? He didn't. He didn't. And what God began to do was he began to... Uh, make promises, make proclamations through this group of people called the prophets. When you open up your Bible there in the middle, you've got Isaiah, you've got Jeremiah, you've got Micah. You have all these books and and they are people, they're prophets who were sent to one to to say basically, you know, turn back to God, turn back to God. But even in the midst of your faithfulness, I want to remind you of the promise that one day, one day, there will be this Savior who will come, this Messiah. Some scholars say that as you look at all the Old Testament prophecies, that beginning in the book of Genesis and going all the way to Malachi the last book in the Old Testament, that over 400 promises are made about the coming Messiah. Y'all just think about that for one moment. There were 400 prophecies, promises, however you want to say that, predicting, foretelling that one day this Messiah would come and that Jesus perfectly fulfilled all 400 promises of those promises. Do you know how unlikely that is? Do you know like how almost impossible that is? Uh, one one uh, professor somewhere, I guess he was a statistician, he said, I wonder what the probability would be if, if, if one human being just fulfilled eight prophecies that were made about that person, you know, eight predictions. And he came up with some number that I don't even, like I looked at it, but it was like, I don't even know how to say that number because it was like bazillion, quadrillion, Bazillions to the like the twentieth power or whatever, but Jesus fulfilled four hundred of the promises when He came on this earth. I want to show you just a handful of them. I promise we will not go through all 400 today, but I want to lift up and y'all say, thank you very much, I do have lunch plans today. But I want to take you through just a handful of these prophecies, and let's lift these up. The first one is in Isaiah 9, chapter 9, verses six through seven. Now, who is Isaiah? Isaiah was a prophet. He was prophesying to what is known as the Southern Kingdom. Remember, I told you there was the Civil War, uh, the North and the South. And, and scholars tell us that he was probably writing about 700 years before the birth of Christ. Okay, let that sink in just for a second. He wrote these words approximately 700 years before Jesus was born. And this is what he promises, this is what he prophesies from the Lord about the coming Messiah. He said, for unto us a child is born. Okay, that's one promise right there. The Messiah will not come as a conquering king. The Messiah will come as a child. He said, and to us a son is given and this child will be a male child. It won't be a little girl, but it will be a little boy. So two things right there. It says, and the government will be on his shoulders. He is called to be one who will lead, who will rule. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. He will be called the Mighty God. Okay, let's, let's stop here for just a moment. You're telling me that there is going to be a child, a male child that's going to be born, but this child is going to be Mighty God? Now, for their monotheistic worldview, that could not be because there was only one true God. They they knew they were to worship other gods. Uh, That would be idolatry. But here Isaiah is, is, is foretelling of the mystery that we understand as the Trinity, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And it is something that we at our finite minds can't quite wrap our heads again. But here, 700 years before, Isaiah is... laying it out God is making this promise he said this child will be the everlasting father the prince of peace and of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end Okay, think about that. One of the things that we believe and that we know is that through Jesus' death on the cross that we can live eternally with our Heavenly Father when we accept his free gift of salvation. Right here, 700 years before, Isaiah is laying out this idea of eternity, of Jesus as someone who has no beginning, who has no end, who dwells outside of space and time, if you will. This is promise one out of 400. I promise we're not doing 399 next. All right, the next one that I've got here is from Micah, Micah 5.2. And Micah, again, a prophet, prophet pre, uh, prophesying, making promises through the voice of God, God speaking through him. He says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Where was Jesus born? Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. The, the one, the king comes to you. Uh, here's this ruler who's going to rule, whose origins are from old. So he is prophesied, he's promised, he's predicted where he's going to be born. We see it there. Then he says in Zechariah nine nine, another prophet, another prophet proclaiming the promises of God. And he says, rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. That's another name for the people of Israel. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Here's Zachariah, hundreds and hundreds of years before, is predicting the way that Jesus would enter into Jerusalem the week before he is crucified. He is a king, but he is humble and he's lowly and he's riding into the city on a donkey. All right, we got three, three promises. We've seen them fulfilled. All right, Isaiah 53.8. This is a little bit later on. Uh, Isaiah the prophet is speaking, and he says, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. Isaiah, 700 years earlier, is telling how this Messiah is going to take on the transgressions of the world. He is going to die on the cross for us. That his, Our punishment is going to fall on him. Psalm sixteen, ten through eleven, and this was written during the time of David. It says, "Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand." Again, the promise of eternity. So. How does this impact you? This is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite parts of the Christmas story. I mean, I know, I love the, the you know, you were telling the story of, of Joseph and the, you know, that there's no room in the end and, and all those things. But when I stand and I worship on Christmas Eve, I am reminded that God is a faithful God. Though it might seem slow to me as God is keeping his promises, I know that he is trustworthy. In that little video clip that I showed you this morning, well, I mean, one of the things that we know is that, you know, Michael Scott, he was not someone you could trust. Sometimes people have to prove their trust to us before we can entrust our whole selves to them. Do you know what I mean? They, they talk about how it's not wise to be naive or to be gullible to entrust something of value to someone that, that they haven't proven themselves to you. Uh, you know, when I used to do uh, high school ministry, campus ministry. One of the things that I remember when talking to young ladies about, they would begin to be in a dating relationship and I would say uh, guard your heart. Uh, Your heart is something that is so special. It's so sacred. The scriptures say guard your heart with all diligence. And I would say don't just give your heart away to the first person that kind of gives you the butterflies in your stomach who makes your palms sweat. Make sure that person has the character and and is someone that you want to entrust. Make sure they are trustworthy, worthy before you entrust something that's so special and so tender about who you are, because they can hurt it. But when I think about God, God has proven Himself over and over and over and over that He is trustworthy. And because we know that God keeps His promises, we can have joy when the night is long and when the and the day is hard. I was talking to someone um, about this sermon, just kind of processing it this weekend. And I said, you know, what, what's hard for you? What's hard for you when you think about God's promises and having joy? And this person said, well, it's just when you have these expectations about life, you have these expectations about the house you'd be living in or the car you'd be driving or the job you would have. And, and those things haven't happened. And you feel like you've been faithful. You've done the hard work. You, you know, you've been obedient. You've done, and it feels like that, that it's just not happening for you. And we talked about that a little bit. And I said, you know what I think as I have lived life, what I have observed is that gratitude sometimes is what gets me through that, that season when the, the, it feels like God is distant. It feels like God is not speaking. It feels like God, maybe that his answer is not what I had hoped for. I said, I think if I can just practice gratitude in those moments. And I, and as this person and I were talking, um, they had experienced a move. And I said, I think that, you know, yes, it's appropriate for us to grieve, to maybe grieve the dream or to grieve what we've lost. I said, but in the midst of it, to be grateful for God's goodness, grateful for God's promises, grateful for the small gifts that he lives us. And I said, you know, that's what Israel missed over and over and over and over again. God had a plan. God had his promises, but they got tired of waiting so often and they abandoned God or they said, we're going to choose a little bit of God, a little bit of the, you know, the other idols. But, But their overarching thing that they did was they complained and they grumbled. And I think as we practice gratitude during those long nights, that's when we hang on to the joy and we trust that God is a faithful God as we head into this Christmas season, I hope that you'll be reminded every time you sing a carol, as you put your nativity set up in your home, as you decorate the tree, uh, whatever your traditions are, I hope that you'll be reminded that God is a faithful God. We can trust in his promises, and because of that, we can have joy.